Hello, and welcome to CAA Conversations. Today, I'm with Jennifer Kingsley and Kevin Turvala, and their conversation can be subtitled, Medievalist Stumbles into an Africanist, and they decide to invite undergraduates to curate a feminist show. Jennifer Kingsley is the director of the Interdisciplinary Undergraduate Programs in the Museums and Society at Johns Hopkins University. Kevin Turvala is an associate curator of African art and department head for the Arts of Africa, the Americas, Asia, and the Pacific Islands at the Baltimore Museum of Art. Welcome. Thank you, Karen. Um, so Kevin and I thought we would start by giving a little bit of background to our respective institutions and the project that brought us together to essentially co-teach a class in the spring of 2019 talk a little bit about our experiences in the trenches, um, the advantages and some of the challenges that we see in the approach, and uh, conclude with a couple takeaways for anyone who might be interested in doing similar work. So for my part, as you mentioned, I direct an undergraduate-focused program called Museums and Society. And what that essentially means is that we aim to help students gain museum literacy and disciplinary literacy. So for my part as an art historian, what that means is in my teaching, I'm thinking about how do I get students to consider art and its histories alongside thinking about arts institutions and their histories. And I would say as a teacher, I've long been preoccupied with taking advantage of that particular position, kind of being in between university-based art history and museum-based art history, to think about how this partnership, this overlap, um, can help me get students to engage with our the, the stories we tell ourselves about culture, about the canon, essentially, um, as a problem, as an issue. Uh, so I always, I remember, you know, as an undergraduate, having this very transformative experience in a class, reading Linda Nochlin's Why Have There Been No Great Women Artists from 1971. And, you know, being so amazed and, and changed by the kinds of things she says about the shortcomings of our approaches and our efforts to diversify the canon and how much we need to start to pay greater attention to the structures and the systems that shape that canon and shape the stories that we tell about culture and who artists are and things like that. So that's really um, you know, where I was coming in when I uh, met Kevin over at our neighborhood museum, a public museum, the Baltimore Museum of Art. Yeah, so the, the Baltimore Museum of Art, which is actually, funnily enough, located on what used to be the campus of Johns Hopkins University before they very kindly gave it to us about 100 years ago. Um, you know, I think we as an institution have changed a lot since I came on board maybe two or so years ago. And I think we have a new mission. We have a new vision. It's dedicated not only to community engagement, but also to questions of social equity and social justice and what does it mean to sort of actualize sort of all of the the rhetoric that we've been hearing um, both publicly and in sort of the art historical world about diversifying the canon and sort of making sure that underrepresented artists um, find their way into museum collections and what does it mean to think about that um, in a sort of public way and that's you know Jennifer and I had worked together um, on uh, I had come into a class she was teaching in the fall of 2018 um, and 
I basically what was happening at the time um, was I had gotten a show approved for what is part of the museum's, the BMA's Vision 2020, or actually, it's actually called 2020 Vision is, is the official title, um, which is an entire year of programming um, celebrating women artists and women collectors and sort of the role of women in art and art history. And this is something that the museum across the board, all of our exhibitions, all of our public programming is going to be thinking about this and talking about this and showcasing um, these artists and these collectors um, and this type of artwork throughout all of 2020. And so I had pitched a show about basically how um, African art fits into this. And I, you know, had, I'd worked with Jennifer before. I'd had uh, the privilege of working with some of her undergraduates before. And I, I, we, I pitched the idea that what would, ha what would happen if we curated this show collectively? If she and I worked together and we brought in undergraduates into the project and we folded a couple of more people in, and what would the show um, look like if we sort of brought everyone together. And um, what is what resulted from that um, is a project that will be opening on April 5th, 2020. Um, it doesn't have an official working, it doesn't have an official title yet, but the working title um, that we've been using is African Art and the Matrilineage, which is, and it's basically dedicated to looking at um, the signal role of mothers in African art, specifically that was produced in matrilineal communities. So communities um, in which kinship and group identity are traced through the maternal line. And so that was sort of the, the boundaries of the project. Um, and I think we'll we'll get into it in just now to talk about sort of the, the core structure and sort of thinking through all of these questions I think we've teased you with so far. Right. Yeah. So when Kevin uh, pitched this idea to me, I was really enthusiastic for a variety of reasons. One, it really fits into my interest in thinking about canons and canons as a problem. Um, it was a project that really aimed to imagine a feminist approach to curating African art, and thus a kind of feminist approach to um, the discipline of African art history. Um, and I was soon to learn that is a particularly challenging project given the nature of the collections that most museums have. But we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but we did have to think through, okay, so if at the end of the semester what we want is for students to have conceptualized a show around a particular body of material that has something to say to the public, that engages with scholarship on one level, but also understands the ways in which uh, the public engages with art in these museum settings and understands the kind of relationship between people and objects that the museum crafts. Well, where do we start? How do we break down that curatorial project into steps that students, undergraduates, with little to no background in art history, uh, as many of my students are, might undertake? So what are those steps? What are the genres of assignments? What's possible? What's not? And how do we also, I think Kevin was particularly good about emphasizing this, you know, how do we make this not just a theoretical exercise for students, but actually give them ownership of the project and make sure that they themselves are tackling these concerns and questions uh, and debates over, um, you know, what happens when you put a show on and there isn't anyone there anymore to explain all the decisions, you know, that have happened. and how does this story matter to people beyond the classroom, beyond their professor? You know, how do you go from an audience of one, your professor to whom you turn in all your assignments and get graded, to an audience of many? Um, what do we do about grading, right? So these are all some of the questions that were revolving in our minds as we started to um, develop this class and imagine the syllabus. 
And I should say we we took inspiration from a lot of the pedagogical literature on uh, backwards course design, you know, really starting with the museum needs in terms of what the deliverables the students were going to create were going to be, in this case, an exhibition. Um, and uh, also thinking about, well, how do we set up the division of labor so that students know what they're getting into and they also know what our respective roles are. Kevin as a curator engaged in co-teaching this class, me as the faculty member, you know, responsible for the pedagogy, the grading, the assessment, um, engaging with all of our university systems, of course, relating to the project. And then Kevin, of course, engaging with all of his institutional um, structures and staffing and things like that. So where did we, so where we landed, Kevin, is um, we needed to find a balance between readings that were going to deal with African art scholarship, readings that were going to be more about um, the museum setting, art interpretation, um, you know, how people perceive African art, histories of exhibiting African art, things like that. So kind of what I would call the museological scholarship and then kind of the practice of curating for public audiences. And so I think what we ended up doing was sort of a, a, a two-part structure is probably the best way to think about it. So the first half of the semester was um, what I would call a crash course in African art history. So um, And so what ended up happening is each week um, the students would in class come prepared having done a set of three readings, one of which um, was an art, Africanist art historical reading focused on a particular type of object um, or sort of object group um, from a specific cultural area. We also paired them, um, made them read African feminist theory. Um, and so each week they would come in having read this and they would sort of get a, a deep dive into the types of objects and the types of groups in the matrilineal belt, this group of matrilineal communities in Central Africa that is the focus of the show. Um, and so they would come in sort of having this, having prepared this. Um, and this is where we sort of did the the building blocks of like, this is what this object, this artwork is. This is what the artists were trying to do. This is the, the social and cultural context in which it was embedded. And that was also um, supplemented by work that they did in the museum. So each week students would have to come in, they would have to look at one of the objects um, in the museum collections that they had read about and sort of write a report um, on that object and specifically, so sort of translating this work from sort of a more academic theoretical, this is about an object type to this is the object that the museum has that is available for this show should you want to use it. So the first half of the, as I said, the first half of the semester was very much um, African art history for people who don't have any background in African art. Including myself. So really, Kevin was familiarizing us with the collection at the BMA, but also the historiographic traditions around African art history, its kind of basis in anthropology and in art history, and then sort of this mo more recent layer of feminist intervention, but pulling from African feminism and African feminist scholars um, and uh, who are very attentive to the differences between an African-born feminism and a Western-born feminism, if I may put it that way. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's a great way of putting it. And so I think the idea was they would get this sort of crash course and then they would transition into the actual work of designing the show. So 
doing the object selection, doing the sections, figuring out what, what the central thesis was. Exactly. And to help support them in that process, we did, you know, a fair bit of readings and discussions about um, the uh, sort of the work of museums, uh, visitors, sort of exhibition development, um, and also kind of basic museum literacy. So we would visit the museum and we would look at various exhibitions and kind of critique them. Um, what messages are we getting out of them? What did the curator intend? Are those resonating together? Um, what are the friction points for them as an audience, right? Because I and the students have no real background in African art history as is true of the majority of the public that Kevin curates for. And um, so we were in a position to kind of be a little bit the guinea pigs of the exhibition while also, you know, asking the questions and finding those relevant stories um, that spoke to us and were um, in tune with where the scholarship was. So that's always, I think I would say for our courses in museums and society, a kind of balancing act is the scholarly elements and the kind of the more public elements and the cultural storytelling elements um, that emerge. And I think it's, it, that is something to emphasize in this is that I came into this project and we emphasized to the students time and time again that this was, this is not, I'm, we're not asking them to recreate something that Jennifer and I had already pre-conceptualized. This was genuinely, we are in this together. We are going to build this together. You are a co-curator of this show. So when the students, you know, there would obviously be questions about like, oh, well, what if we, could we do this? And it's like, I don't know, could we do this? Would you like to do this? Is this important for us to do? You like having the students, like Jennifer said earlier, take ownership over the project was something that we really wanted to emphasize um, for them. And, and in part, because I think this is these sort of collaborative curatorial models and knowledge production that's coming from a variety of different sources is some is the way that makes these shows better. Um, and I think I, I we can talk about a little bit later um, how that sort of transformed the show from what I was thinking of when I came into this to sort of it, what it's going to look like when it opens in April. And so I think part of that, you know, so there are a couple of thing, points I would make here. One was that, you know, one of the treasures for me of working with Kevin is that he came into this with a high level of trust and willingness to trust the students to cede some curatorial authority. And um, because of the nature of the model that this was kind of applied, project-based applied learning with an outcome and that the students and I were kind of part of that team and Kevin had subject expertise was, but was also part of our team, we were all kind of working this through together and we all had to really build a sense of ownership and trust, each of us. So when we were breaking down the deliverables for the students, we not only kind of started from the end, all right, for an exhibition, what do you need? You need a checklist, you need sections, you need themes. How do we get there? But also, how do we get students to feel ownership of the objects and to become experts, in fact, be the trusted experts on the object in that particular case. So part of the goal of having the students go to the museum and look at uh, works uh, in with Kevin was that each week we would um, separate the students out into teams and they'd each take primary responsibility for one object or a grouping. And they would dig into the research in addition to 
the course readings, and they would then have to present back the object to the class, the curatorial team, essentially, um, talking about, uh, you know, basically what we know about the object, kind of serial questions on which they would get some help from Kevin in terms of quality and example, where the scholarship is on it, what the function is, and what the historical context is. And then finally, um, speculate a bit about how this particular work fits into this larger goal to create an exhibition that looks at mothers as central figures in African art of a particular zone of the African continent and uh, channels uh, some uh, of the newer kind of feminist ideas about uh, mothers and women and women's roles in African society. And so I think, you know, I, I think it might be helpful for us to sort of talk about, I think, what, what are the benefits are from this process and sort of what, what came from why this was so successful. Because I think in, in my estimation, it has been incredibly successful. Um, and I think part of that is because, as we've alluded to before, there were so many different people who were coming with their own experiences and knowledge bases and sort of like just position positionality um, coming into this project and really thinking about it and giving them ownership over the project, I think allowed for these, these ideas and to sort of flow very freely and to say, actually, you know, I don't think these objects are appropriate. I think this entire, these sort of works wouldn't work well um, given what the theme is. And so I think the checklist um, was refined as a result of it, sort of what we ended up, what the end result of the show is, sort of its, its various sections and the overall theme, which is that, you know, in matrilineal communities in the 19th and early 20th century in Central Africa in this in um, this matrilineal belt, mothers are conceptualized as sort of the spiritual um, and cultural forces of power. Um, and so the idea that maternal iconography sort of then gets filtered into the most efficacious and powerful objects in a society is a result of that. Um, and so we ended up with this with this much more sort of thematic approach as a result of the students um, looking at this, whereas like I think f looking at this and talking about it, which is not what I at all what I was thinking of when I came into this project. So I think the project was fundamentally altered by the students, but also I think by all of these conversations and Jennifer being a medievalist and having no background um, in African art or very little background and in also, African art. And also, you know, being a mother actually and being the only person in that classroom that was a mother. Um, in a Western society and culture that we know from a lot of attention that's been paid to it in terms of uh, mothers in politics at the moment, um, tends to see motherhood as a burden, as um, a sort of an anti-feminist, in a way, uh, position and role. Um, so in terms of, Kevin, what you were saying, in terms of positionalities, there was also this kind of very universal human um, idea of motherhood that um, many of us uh, experience in different ways from, in my case, being a mother, but in many of the students' case, from their own relationships with mothers or motherhood or um, the kind of uh, Western, or in some cases, because we did have inter you know students from quite varied backgrounds um, coming from different cultures and different cultural norms of motherhood. So bringing that together alongside this what Kevin put so in such a lovely and scholarly way in terms of the, the thematics that came out. 
but grappling with not just what's appropriate or not, but how come, you know, this is, we want this to be feminist. We want people to understand there's lots of kinds of feminism. There's, um, you know, there's global feminisms, but these are all sculptures, which wooden sculptures, which means they are made by men and they're, in terms of their function, they're used by men. So they're figures of mothers, women who are mostly in the nude that are created by men and danced by men and channel power for men. So that, that became a really strong preoccupation for us as a class. Um, and that to me, in terms of thinking about, you know, how we tackle problems of the canon became this really fruitful um, and challenging issue to navigate. And I think because Kevin came in um, and quite deliberately said, I don't have an answer to this question. This is the question I'm posing you. This really gave, I think, uh, the students the a kind of accountability and responsibility to grapple with uh, what is, uh, frankly, a very challenging art historical question. Yeah, I mean, I and I think coming into this, having a background in African feminist theory and having read a lot of it, there was something when I would look at these objects and I'd said, there's something feminist going on here if you're thinking about this from an African feminist angle, but I don't know what it is. And so I think um, we figured that out together. And I think um, especially, and it, it, I think is a very tight show as a result. Um, and yeah, one of the students, I mean, the students had lots of different moments of huge insight. And we'll talk about also in a bit, I want to talk a little bit about the structure of the class lesson plan and stuff mm, like yeah. that. But, um, you know, all sorts of very insightful comments like, well, you know, one way to think about it is the men need these figures to invoke this power. But for the women, it's just their bodies that do it. So really witnessing a kind of learning and deep grappling with um African feminist theory, but then being able to apply it to real objects and think through the impact of those ideas on the interpretation of these artifacts and on their understanding from a functional and an art historical perspective as well. And again, you know, coming back to the fact that among these students, um, we had one who was a senior art history major from another institution. Um, we had uh, one other student in the class who was a freshman, but planning to be an art history major. But others were anthropologists, archaeologists. Um, you know, so not all the students really had a lot of disciplinary uh, training in art history. So um, that I think was productive in that there wasn't the sense that we were initiated into the best practices of what art history were. We could ask the obvious question or what might seem obvious or, or things that we don't question when we're inculcated into a discipline like this. Um, and also, you know, being sort of foreign to the subject matter, I think, um, gave uh, Kevin some opportunities uh, to uh, think through, well, you know, when I say this, when I present this, um, you know, where do I need to pull in the evidence? How do I need to frame this? How do I start to craft this interpretation um, and and dig into these objects? Um, 
and make claims that haven't been made really in scholarship yeah. about certain of the figures that'll be in the show, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's um, it's a it's just a real testament, I think, to the model that we came up with. And I think we've seen the students have been continually involved. Um, I think this is one of the things that has stood out to me, not really knowing what to expect when I came into this project. Um, but out of all of the students who didn't graduate, all of them have, you know, offered to intern with me and are interning with me or have in the past. Um, you know, I think we've we've established some sort of group label routing. I think it's one thing to sort of say that what we I think Jennifer and I were very ambitious when we when we wrote the syllabus and we were like, and we will have them write labels, which may or may not be used in the show. And I think we had to have them do that as a practice. But I think most of to sort of learn what it was like to think about interpreting art for a public. But I think a lot of what we ended up doing was just about conceptualization. This was like a course in conceptualizing something and grappling with all of these really challenging topics that we've been talking about and sort of how do you how do you knit everything together? Um, so I think it's not like an exhibition came fully formed at the end of it. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done from the museum's perspective and writing labels and design and you know, marketing and all of that other, all of these other sorts of things that go into museum um, installation, but the intellectual work was done very collaboratively. And I think, um, you know, one thing that helped really bring home to students that they had ownership of that intellectual work, that they were co-creators in it, was that um, they were charged with presenting to the museum staff at the end of the semester a curatorial workshop in which essentially they uh, shared their vision for the show, their justification for that vision, um, the particular uh, thematic explorations that each object grouping would allow. So from the kind of introductory text label that sets up the larger interpretive idea, all the way down to, well, in this case, we've got, you know, a collection of objects from the Congo, and that allows us to talk both about the role of mothers, but also about um, the place of colonialism in impacting the understanding of the importance of the role of mothers in this particular cultural group, right? So going from the big picture to even diving into the details and thinking through almost a kind of pedagogic journey for visitors, you know, all right, well, what did it take for us to be able to get to this point? Um, and how can we teach someone to actually see what we see in these objects? Um, which I think um, from my perspective, uh, in terms of student learning is very, very important. You know, How do you learn to communicate your ideas effectively in various formats and uh, help your audience come along with you? And I, and I do think it requires a much deeper connection to the content than sometimes an academic research paper deliverable can give because it's easy for students to get kind of caught up in the jargon of the framing um, and that here they really had to craft a very clear argument and they were de delivering it live so you know and we're going to get feedback on it quite directly and then some other things uh, we did over the course of the semester is when it came to all right we've got the checklist how are we going to divide this up into groupings that make sense to tell the story you want to make um you know kevin just at one point said to the students would it be better if we if jennifer and i just stepped out and the students said yeah, actually, that would be really helpful. And we did. So we had entire class sessions where the students were working together as a curatorial team, essentially, 
And um, we were, you know, just on the outside kind of uh, looking at assignments or thinking through, you know, what else we might bring to the table, what questions we might raise, um, you know, or just being very pleased with ourselves with how wonderful <laughs> the students were doing. And I think that, you know, I, I want to go back to the idea that, it you know, the students sort of thinking through how a visitor would learn and how they would encounter that as sort of mirroring their own journey is something that I think is really important. I think for me, I think when we think about curatorial models, which is are very singular or have been in the past, I think it's it's very easy for me to be like, oh, I should obviously people will come in with this knowledge or obviously somebody is going to walk into a museum exhibition knowing this. And I think frequently um, letting people who are it or was very my helpful. fellow scholars will love to hear about this particular question. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it's like it's very easy. We functionally don't know how people approach our own field. And so asking students who are learning about it for the first time to have a role in shaping that interpretation, I think, makes it very clear. And I think I've learned this a lot working with I mean, most people don't have familiarity with historic arts of the sort of outside of the Euro-American sphere. And I think the more grounded and sort of almost visitor testing we can do um, as a museum and sort of as scholars to sort of think about how these concepts are being, how can they best be articulated um, and how they best can be structured so that people actually have the experience that we want them to have and learn what we want them to have. Um, I think really only comes through working with people who, who don't have any experience in this. Um, and I, I would add that I for me, what's always been a pleasure about working with this body of students is that I'm constantly question, having to question my own assumptions. You know, I, I have a very strong memory of my early teaching days as a medievalist, you know, giving a lesson, having a student come up to me really shyly at the end saying like, um, so who's this Mary person you've been talking about the whole time? You know, and I'm, I'm giving a lesson, I'm showing lots of iconography of Mary and Jesus and trying to articulate that. And, and you know, bring that at a more sophisticated level, we are, we have a tendency um, to craft narratives that are familiar to us and kind of reproduce them, I think. And this is not to say that, you know, scholarship isn't playing a very important role in revitalizing that conversation. But, you know, how many times do we see a story of a female artist being positioned as you know, as Ashton uh, Cooper put it in an article uh, related to uh, a Bryn Mawr exhibition initially, um, the the problem of the overlooked female artist, like the sudden discovery of the female artist without paying attention to kind of the systemic uh, structures that disappeared them and then reappeared them in a way, right? And so thinking about those questions. So, um, you know, students, uh, just like public, the public and visitors, they do have their own assumptions about culture and uh, they are initiated to some extent into the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves, but not necessarily into these disciplinary conversations. And so it, it, it's very helpful, I think, um, to have to re-examine our assumptions and uh, rethink them. And I think it can give some scholarly insight as well, I would argue. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe do we wanna shift over to talk a little bit about um, sort of things that people should be aware of if they wanna yes. go into a 
cross-institutional co-teaching collaborative curatorial model? <laughs> yes, I'm very glad you put it that way because I think cross-institutional is a big piece of it. Um, you know, being aware of your own institutional positionality um, and also of um, structural and logistical differences between your institutions. I mean, one of the reasons Kevin mentioned earlier, we had to step back a bit from uh, you know, thinking about students writing text labels because there was already so much intellectual work going into the conceptualization is because we have 14 weeks to curate what it takes a museum, usually several years to plan, right, and curate. Um, and I know that the timeline uh, and, and working with students as part of that timeline also added some challenges on the museum side, right? Yeah, I mean, I think from a logistical side for museums, what sort of this giving 14 weeks over to students to sort of help figure out what are what do we want to say? What are the objects? What are the sections? Like what is the overall narrative means that very basic things like a checklist doesn't go to our conservators um, until much later than it ordinarily would. Or it means that in other loans that I wanted from private collectors or that we decided we wanted from private collectors or from other institutions, those requests and all sort of the like document production you need to do to get those out came much later. So I think it it, it basically involved sort of shortening and our, my colleagues at the BMA were really wonderful about this, shortening the amount of work they were able to timeline that they were able to operate on for things like developing designs and, you know, graphic identities and all of these other sorts of things that come into play with an exhibition um, because it re we wanted to really give the students the opportunity to actually take ownership over the project. Um, so there's a big impact on production schedule on the museum side. And then there's a lot of work on the pedagogical side um, in terms of keeping things manageable, keeping students on track, um, and you know, also being flexible and, and uh, responsive as the project develops, um, just as you would in a professional team, actually. But in this case, along with, you know, understanding that maybe some of the aspects of the syllabus will get out of whack from a schedule perspective because we need to be able to complete this before we can move on to that. Or, you know, it also means uh, to some extent anticipating and planning for a certain amount of student anxiety about performance and grades and, you know, being attentive to giving qualitative feedback to their work. Um, and uh, and finding those moments where there can be quantitative feedback, at, at least at my institution, students are very professionalized as students and very attentive to performance markers. And so that's something that definitely um, has to be accounted for. There's something else I wanted to add. Oh, oh the other thing I would say is, um, you know, the dynamic of the classroom and the personalities of the people involved also become something that's very important. Um, you know, Kevin and I knew each other a little bit before starting this project, and I think um, we're fortunate that we found that we kind of mesh when it comes to teaching personality and teaching styles, um, but that's definitely something um, that can be very challenging in a co-teaching experience, particularly when you're each responsible to an institution beyond your classroom. I have responsibility and obligations to the students and their learning and to my university institution. 
Kevin has a responsibility to his institution, his colleagues, and to this exhibition and getting it done and making sure it gets done and that it fits with this 2020 vision. So there's a lot of work to maintain, I would say, that relationship that for us was, a, for me, was a pleasure. Um, for me too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but started really before the semester launched and has continued since. And, and I would say the students have continued to be involved with the project. Um, and I think that's a, a really amazing learning outcome. Their level of engagement was so incredibly high throughout the course and then continuing on beyond the course, which in my experience doesn't happen that often. Um, but, you know, I became very invested in the project and it's very much outside of my subject field. But now I'm really ex interested in and and thinking about, you know, how do some of these ideas that we've been talking about in African art history help me understand some of the problems we talk about in medieval art history, some of the conceptions of gender, you know, are there without that old uh, primitivizing mindset that tries to put the medieval and the African into dialogue as both sort of primitive precursors of modern culture, but these um, distinctive ways of imagining some of these larger theoretical concepts, you know, how can they speak to each other and open up in ways that our modern ideas um, maybe have shut down? From a pedagogical perspective, I think um, what's really important about this model in terms of student learning is that students are experiencing what to me is a principal lesson that universities should be teaching. Essentially that knowledge is a testable and revisable narrative, that advancing that knowledge is an incremental process that requires sustained effort, precise investigation, and a willingness to have your ideas challenged and debated. Um, and also understanding kind of what happens when that kind of knowledge um, takes on a public life and starts to matter to other people and affect other people. Um, in a really concrete way, there were a collection of Sunday Society masks that the students long debated whether they wanted to include or not. And the Sunday Society masks, although they're used for many different things, as I understand it, are best known to those of us outside African art history as being part of female initiation right that includes female circumcision or genital mutilation, depending what you want to call it. And so students thinking about, well, what would it mean to put that kind of object that has that kind of a public um, reception in a show that is aiming to be feminist, right? So thinking about um, why the past, why objects matter, not just for themselves, but for others, and the kind of impact that the stories they're telling would have on others. Um, and I think the other big thing I would say, which is something I really value, and I think plays into perhaps what Kevin will say in terms of the museum, is that um, this kind of project really changes the dynamics of the classroom to one in which um, we're all kind of co-learners and co-creators, um, perhaps at different levels of years of experience in engaging in this kind of work, but nonetheless, you know, at equal in terms of uh, having a shared goal and being at the same kind of beginning of getting to that goal. Yeah, and I would say for the museum, the big takeaway for me is that 
engage, the more you can engage with a, the community in which you are a part of um, and the audience to which you're trying to pitch a show to, the better something is going to be. This is something that I think we talk about a lot. I mean, Lord knows how, how often we talk about listening to the community and being engaged in, in museum practice. But I think actually the work of doing that has been, has shown me just how valuable that is and sort of trying to practice what we so often preach has been um, incredibly valuable. And then I think also, I think that's probably the big takeaway for me um, from sort of a, a practical perspective. But also, I think there's there's this idea of working across institutions. I mean, how, the BMA is its own separate entity. It is not a teaching, it, it's not a university museum. We have our own mission and goals and priorities. But I think um, sort of bridging all of these these gaps um, and sort of institutional timelines and schedules that we were talking about um, is is very valuable. And so the more institutions can find ways to work together, the better. And I, I would say kind of as a last remark, I think after this experience, you know, students, you know, they have the sense that the reason certain kinds of objects predominate in African art collections is because of what we have historically decided count as artworks, namely sculpture, that sculpture is very important. So that's what we've collected. So that is what predominates in these collections. It so happens that those works are made by men, which means we mostly in a lot of the African art collections, if that's fair to say, Kevin, have um, you know works produced by men. So this starts to raise questions for them. Well, what about the rest of the galleries? What about the rest of um, the art history we encounter in a textbook? or in um, you know, our art, his, art history classes. Why are we paying attention to these objects and not those? Why are we telling these kinds of stories and not those? And at the end of the day, you know, in terms of the ways that bringing the museum and museum-based art history and university-based art history together from and, and overlapping those in order to position canonicity itself as a problem, which is something I'm really interested in, this is really powerful because students have to deal with that for themselves. You know, they have to navigate that. They have to navigate the consequences of the canon um, and the challenges it poses to their intellectual project. And I think that, and also I think the museum makes really visible and really present and really um, there, you know, it makes it really alive for students. Uh, what the canon is uh, and and what it looks like. And um, at the same time, because museums are such trusted institutions, they can in and of themselves become these perpetrators of canonical stories. And they're so polished and produced, it can be hard for students to see the gap. But now they've been on the producer's side. You know what I mean? And so it's like when I go to the movies with my friend who's an editor and, you know, I, she can't leave the movie without noticing everything that's happened to the sound. I, now my students can't go to the museum without noticing some of these smaller curatorial and educational and interpretive choices. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a great way to end it. Yeah, I think that's that's amazing.